You're about to hear a podcast recorded before our rebrand, so you might hear us mention our previous brand name, We Are Radical, or our original podcast name, The Radicalist. We're still the same show with the same hosts on the same mission. And if you'd like to find out how we got here, you'll find our journey on the stories page of obuinvest.com. Hello and welcome to the Radicalist podcast, where we have frank conversations with fierce women founders. This is a podcast about not settling, full of honest conversations with women who have wanted to build their own businesses and did. If you're making the tough but incredible decision to start up, sustain or scale your own business, we've got you. Because we're a podcast by, for and about women who do exactly that. Women looking that leap in the eye, women taking their first steps as founders, Women with stories about the journeys they've been on, the hacks that have helped, and everything they've seen along the way. Women like us, and women like you. We're Sarah King. And Claire Dunn. And we're the founders of We Are Radical. And this is The Radicalist Podcast. This week, we're talking to Chloe Sweden, co-founder of the Green Shoots Institute, who are on a mission to inspire one million employees to create healthier and more sustainable habits. In this conversation, Chloe shares the backstory to her business, her thoughts and reflections on the investment world and raising funds, and why now is the time to promote the benefits of plants for a healthier, more sustainable world. So Chloe, Claire and I are really excited to be able to have a conversation with you today. There's so much to dive into with your business, which is still a relatively new business, although you're now at the stage of doing your first investment round. We would love to start, though, by talking about your mission and your North Star. So for any of our listeners who haven't looked at your website yet, Your mission is to promote the benefits of plants for a healthier, more sustainable world. So can you just share with us, why is this important to you and what's the backstory to that mission? Where did it come from? Yeah, it's a really good question because I I guess at the heart of every business is the mission and it's why I get out of bed in the morning. It's what keeps me going during the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. I guess we came to our plant-based journey. So when we talk about the power of plants, we do talk about kind of essentially eating them more than anything else. And we came to our plant-based journey probably about two and a bit years ago. So really quite recent. I had had health problems in the past. I've had two heart operations and have always been on a kind of journey to sort of look for something that kind of felt that it was it fitted my lifestyle and, and felt right. And we came across sort of going plant-based. But really the impetus behind setting up the business and having that as a really strong mission was a phone call I got from an ex-colleague of mine. So I was on the leadership team of an advertising agency. I was head of talent and culture there and she was our head of operations. We'd kept in touch, as you do, and she called me and said that she had breast cancer. And it kind of floored me because she, I don't know, she wasn't the type of person I thought would get breast cancer. It's terrible. I just didn't you know you have an idea in your mind. Um, mm. And then I kind of went into sort of like a launch of sort of you need to look at plant based and, you know, what's your employer doing to help you? And everything I said made it sound like I was blaming her for her own cancer. Genuinely, like yeah, I just couldn't right. articulate how to sort yeah. of support her. 
And that was a kind of light bulb moment for me where I felt like, well, actually, nobody is getting that information out there. If you want to cut down on your meat and dairy consumption for whatever reason, and we can talk about that for later, there just wasn't that kind of support. Yes, you can go on Instagram, you can follow some influencers, you can look up but the world of the Internet is very, very large. And actually, you might not want to be hit around the head by sort of images of dead animals or intensive agriculture, especially if you're going through a health problem. And because of my background in HR and talent, understanding that actually nobody was supporting employees through that journey, whether or not they had health concerns, just anybody. And so for us, it was really clear that as a mission, we wanted to sort of promote plants, absolutely, but not shove them down people's throats. It's really important but also really create a healthier, more sustainable world. I mean, there's nothing more motivating at the heart of a day, let alone a business, than to be doing something that's beyond yourself, that can really leave a legacy. We've all got children. You know, we want to create a better world around us. So, you know, without sounding too worthy, we're trying to, you know, really narrow it down to exactly what we could do. That was what was really important to us. So that was the mission. Can you just take us up a level and tell us... What is your business? So what is it that you provide? Yeah, that's a really good question. I get asked that a lot. I've been working on my elevator pitch. It's not quite down yet, so please excuse me. Um, but I do test it out on my mum and anyone else who, who will listen. Like, do you understand what I do? Um, and actually, I had a meeting yesterday and he said, OK, so you like send plants to people? Is that what you do? And I was like, no, oh my God. Like, I've totally failed. Like, I need to rewrite my, all of my decks. Um, So it's a really good question. So we are the world's first plant-based well-being and perks portal that rewards employees for healthy and sustainable choices. So to break that down, when you work in a large company, you get access to great benefits. One of the benefits will be access to our portal. And our portal is essentially... So it's online, so it's available 24-7 and um, there's content, there's videos, there's articles, but then there's also exclusive discounts of plant-based partners and sustainable products to kind of help you on that journey. And also sort of real practical help like webinars with plant-based doctors and also cooking, live cooking classes as well. So we really wanted to give people the skills that if you wanted to cut down on your meat and dairy, the education as to why, the content as to the sort of the how, and also the practical tools to really help you on that journey and keep you on that journey, because it can be quite daunting. So we really try and help people from sort of people that have been sort of vegan for 40 years to people that kind of don't even understand the difference between plant-based and vegan, or what Mm -hmm. is a legume? I love asking people that question because they're like, (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> what is it like? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's all, but also kind of loads of inspirational content, um, loads of support and help. That's plants and perks, which is our mm. sort of our portal that we we input into the um, HR ecosystem. Mm. I think if you come from a corporate background, you're probably used to already interacting with some kind of perk based platform. So you know you have that learned behaviour already as to I go here and I can get discounts and I can learn things or I can access certain things. And what you're doing is bringing a new set of learnings and a new way to interact with food and to think about lifestyle choices, but into an already existing kind of ecosystem, which makes that easier for people to interact with and understand what they're buying from you. Yeah. And it was really important to be employee led. 
And, you know, I've worked in big corporates, but I've also been in the leadership team. And it's important for me that we build this from the ground up. It's got to be something that people want to interact with because mm. and it's got to be easily accessible. And so we haven't made it too whizzy. It's actually quite stripped back. but It's just very, very rich in terms of we want people to kind of get lost and kind of, you know, but it's all there and it doesn't go too far. And I think that's been the feedback. But on the perk side, it's been really interesting because feedback we were getting from clients and it's really important to listen so you know one of the big things mm. that I learned is that you listen to your client listen to your you know customer listen to your customer we actually have two customers we have mm. HR teams who essentially are our main customers because they're the ones that are buying the products and then we have so we're B to B to C right so we mm. also have our end users so we have to kind of listen to both and what was really interesting is that from the employee's perspective on the perk side they're kind of getting a bit jaded by the kind of traditional perks that are now on offer. Yes. Everyone kind of sees these sort of like blanket deals and, you know, you get 7% off your Marks and Spencer shop, which is great, but actually you have to pre-buy it. You have to commit to that, you, you know, and also I think, you know, a lot of them are sort of like 6% off Apple or, you know, 5% off Amazon. Who needs to make Jeff Bezos any richer? I mean, I don't. Right. <laughs> right. I, don't. I, pretty, yeah. I think I pretty much sent him to the moon with the amount of Amazon packages <laughs> I got over lockdown anyway. So I think really what people were looking for was actually supporting a local economy. So what we've also tried to do within the perks part of the portal is also really showcase the amazing entrepreneurs that are doing so much innovation within the plant-based and sustainability sector and replicate that in each market. So we're starting out in the UK. But that's been really important too. And, and we're not monetizing that part of the platform. So we don't charge our partners to be promoted on our portal. We have to make sure that they're sustainable. A lot of them are B Corps. You know, we, we go into detail. We want to make sure the product's good in order for us to promote them in order and they have to be completely plant-based and um, they don't have to be vegan they have to be plant-based and so that was really important to us and also we share their stories we talk about how they're just like you're doing with, with your podcast we share their journeys because actually employees in large corporations you know they haven't sold their soul to the devil they're amazing people too and they love the fact that actually they can support those people on that journey as well so by not monetizing that part of the portal I, as a founder and a CEO, can make the right decisions. So if Ben and Jerry's came along and said, we've got a vegan ice cream, we'd love to put it on your platform, here's loads of money, I'd be like, mm, it's really <laughs> tempting, right? Because you make different decisions. Yeah. Um, and so by not monetizing that part of the platform, I can go, thanks so much, but we don't need you. Um, we yeah. really want to support um, the local economy. So that's been quite important too, actually. And that's something mm. that, again, we did through listening to our customers. It's fascinating listening to you and really hearing how you're balancing this sense of purpose with profit and how your corporate journey in terms of the leadership roles that you played and your knowledge and experience around recruitment and talent and retaining people, as well as your own personal health experience and the experience of your friend, how that is being pulled into your business alongside this, you know what, we can build something profitable here. We can, there's a real consumer need, there's a customer need. People are wanting to do things that are good for the environment and supportive of the environment. But that whole question around, well, where and how do I start? Like, what do I do? Can be really challenging. And the fact that your platform will be there kind of alongside them as they explore that journey and whether it's taking their first steps or really embedding it into their lifestyle. You've kind of really neatly brought together both profit and purpose. Was that something that you did very consciously from the beginning? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sort of overstate my social <laughs> credentials in a way. You know, I, I am a commercial person. I'm unashamed in that. You know, I, yeah. I want to build a successful business. And I do think yes. women in particular, you know, kind of might be painted with a brush that actually that's not something that we do, right? We want to do something for the good of the world. And, and I do, and I do want to do that. But I also want a, a successful commercial organization. Yes. So yes, that was important to me to do something that you're leading. Because also, when you work in companies, and you, you know, as you know, work for other people all your life, which I have done, from the age of 14, I've never stopped working for other people. When you do get the chance to build your own business, you do think, mm-hmm. well, actually, and you know that going on that journey is going to take time away from your family and take time away from holidays and take up all your money and you're not going to have anything left. The sacrifices you make, you've got to do it for something that you believe in, right? You've got to do yes. something that you believe is yeah. going to be commercially successful and also is something that you believe in. So it's got to be that combination. But I mean, I mean we've talked quite a bit about obviously the employee experience of the portal and the reason why we set that up but it is important to know that obviously my background is selling to HR teams and understanding that relationship and what they're looking for and so again it was really important for me to you know you don't want to just bring another product to market that your buying customer is like not interested in right and or, or feels that there's it's a saturated market it doesn't matter how important your mission is if it feels like it's been done before or it's not adding value to the person who's actually paying for the product you're not going to get anywhere so that was really important too and it's been really heartening that clients have really gone there's nothing like this out there and also that it's really needed. And for us, the beauty is to be able to bring to an HR department, benefits department, people department, whatever they sit within the organisation, that you can support your employees' health and well-being in a really tangible way. I think that's what people have really struggled. Like, again, employers really want to support the health and well-being of their staff, least of all because it costs them a lot of money and also from a talent attraction perspective absolutely you know we talk about gen z and millennials they're not going to buy properties they're not you know well then a lot of them won't unfortunately you know they want to work for a business that actually is supporting their health and well-being not working them all of the hours and giving them loads of money we know that's not important anymore um, and also doing something that's purpose-led in action and for us being able to be able to say to an HR team, you know, you can support the health and well-being of your people. But also the benefit of that is then by transitioning people to a plant-based diet, you can have a massive impact on climate change. You can cut your CO2 emissions down. And how we say is, you know, if companies are looking at their supply chains, their manufacturing costs, their raw materials, but they're not looking at their people as walking, talking carbon emitters, they're not yes. doing everything they can and with COP26 yes. around the corner and everyone, you know, I sit there watching the news and even I look at the fires raging in Greece at the moment and think, what can I do here in London? But actually I can, if I cut down on my meat and dairy consumption, if I make certain choices, I can make a difference and that will have an impact. Um, and I guess so, yeah, so it is that kind of, it is absolutely merging the sort of, you know, the the, the social need and the, the mission with commercial success. And I'm not I'm not ashamed to say that that is something that if we're not commercially successful, we won't exist and we won't right. be able to yeah. make a change. Right. Yeah. I mean, Claire and I were cheering when we heard you say mm. that, because I think we need to have more conversations where as women entrepreneurs, we lean into that commerciality and we talk about the fact that we want to build financially successful and sustainable businesses and that growth isn't a dirty word. 
I was really interested in your North Star. So we talk a lot about North Stars within the radical community and this idea of of having a vision that is pulls you to the edge of your seat. It's something which feels a bit scary, a bit audacious, but also deep down you're like, yeah, you know what? This is what I want to go after. It's measurable, it's clear. Your North Star is... You want to inspire 1 million employees to create healthier and more sustainable habits. How long did it take you to get to that North Star? And now you have it. How do you use it within your business? It's a really, really good question. And when you've got a mission, you might think, why do we need a North Star? And actually, your listeners might think, well, actually, her mission sounds like a lot like her North Star. But I think you pointed out the really key difference, which is the measurable aspect of it. Mm. And the measurable bit is the 1 million employees. And that was the bit that was really important to us. Actually, the 1 million bit is less important. It's a fairly arbitrary number, if I'm honest, but it gives us a big enough target to aim at. Actually, if I look at our five-year projections, we will hit more than a million employees in order for us to hit the right financial projections. But it's it's a really good place to start. And and actually, the beauty of a North Star is once you hit it, you can change it, right? That's that's the beauty of it. Um, So it it can't be so unobtainable that we'll never get there and we'll just be like beating our heads up and just go, why did we ever set this North Star? And I guess the bit that's important is the scale. So one million. So we're not talking to SMEs. We are talking to enterprise. So again, that leads our sales strategy. But the employees bit is really important because when we've talked to a lot of people, they've said, oh, well, would you do like a B2C version of this? Like a lot of people say, oh, that sounds really good. You know, could you just charge per person, et cetera? And that makes us, our North Star metric pulls us back and always says, well, actually, no, that's not right. We've set a star, which is we are for employees. We are B2B. We're always going to be, for the time that we have the North Star metric until we achieve it, we are going to be B2B. That's really important to us. So it absolutely does. And it keeps you really focused, which when you start a business, focus is the number one thing that you can get lost with. Mm. So you started in last summer, that's right, is it? Summer 2020. So you're about 12 months into your business startup journey. Kind of talk to us about what was happening at that time for you last summer. What were the circumstances? What did that leap from corporate into entrepreneurship feel like? So the first thing to say is that friend who told me about her illness is now my co-founder. So that for me was an obvious choice when picking co-founders. Like most people, I think everybody has had the toughest time in the last 18 months. So I guess it gave us a bit of introspection that maybe we don't have as much time to do. And also this kind of, you know, what what is it that I want to do? I was doing a lot of juggling. I was having to get my kids on Zoom calls, have to literally sit with my child whilst managing a team on literally two screens, like, son, you need to be doing work over here. And sorry, team, can you tell me your sales figures again? It was untenable, like completely untenable. And, and my journey is not unique. Everybody was having to go through that. But yeah, two people who, my husband lost his job at the beginning of the pandemic, And the job he had lined up kept pushing back because of the pandemic. We weren't expecting to be in that situation. And so for us, we had to keep working. We had to keep earning money and juggling. So I think it was that juggle that just made me also think there's got to be another way. There has to be another way. I'm not saying that I don't want to also work and look after my children. This isn't a unique situation. But if you're going to go through all of that, you've got to do it for something that feels right that feels that you want to be doing it every single day they were the conversations that we were having 
when I say we, my husband and I, and that was what was really important. So yeah, so set up the business as a kind of side hustle to what I was doing in September, but really it wasn't until I left in April this year that really kind of like ran at it with at full speed. Um, so it hasn't been a huge amount of time, but we've had huge amounts of traction in that time because I think when you do feel passionately, when you know that what you've got is something that people are banging on the door for you to produce, you have to do it quickly. You have to do yeah. it. Um, and I don't know any other way. I'm just one of those sort of all or nothing people. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So that's that, I guess, was sort of the catalyst during that time. It's fascinating to hear your reflections on the kind of the pace and momentum that you've been able to create within your business. You'll know that we are leading the Over Being Underfunded campaign and we're really passionate about building know-how and awareness around early stage funding, both from an entrepreneur's perspective, but also from an investor perspective and kind of opening up that dialogue, that conversation with more women who maybe haven't considered investing before, but for whom actually they can bring financial contribution, but also know-how, wisdom, support, cheerleading. How has your experience of fundraising been so far? Was it something you always knew that would be a part of your growth strategy or something which evolved? And you have an incredible pitch deck. How has that process been of kind of producing that story, that narrative, and then going out into the world to look for investors? So, no, I always said we're going to bootstrap this. We are going to start small. Like This is all about getting employees. Let's start small. Let's get a couple of smaller businesses on board. And then we'll grow from there. I mean, the idea that we could get a multinational corporation is year three, year four, year five. That's not what happened. What happened was I started Mm. going out to businesses of all sizes and it was the enterprise level customers that were like, we need this and we need this now. And we want you to, we can't just launch it in the UK. For us, it's really important for us to be able to go out to all of our staff globally like when we introduce a benefit we don't just want it to be in one territory it has to be global and so I'm sitting there scratching my head thinking this is not the strategy that I had right (laughs) like this is this is not it and um, you know but I'm very aware that you have to pivot don't pivot on your product and your idea but pivot on everything else so I was very happy to pivot and say look we're not going to start small because actually whilst there is a need at that level there's not a like a banging need right there's not like a a need from those people that are saying we want to throw money at you now and etc So suddenly what I could have done with a smaller team, smaller scale bootstrapping, I couldn't do. And that's back to that sales cycle again. So although these companies are super invested, they want to get it on board. It's still a year cycle to get it through and signed off and then embedded into their organization. So I didn't want to fundraise. So, yeah, so that's been a real kind of then I've looked at our cash flow, look at our projections and go, yeah, we're going to have a bit of gap here. Right. Because the nature of our client, the nature of it means that we have to plug this gap. So that's kind of, I guess, what answers your first question, which is sort of like, have, did you consider fundraising? Um, no. And now I found it very mixed bag in terms of I've had some brilliant meetings with investors and I've loved all of them. And they've all given me some great feedback and they all love the product and they can totally see how it's scalable, how it's global, how there's a great profit margin in it. There's huge benefits for investors, but we are too early for most investors. That's what I found. The people that I can access, we're too early. I'm really surprised by investors in a way because they all want to know that you've received funding in the past. 
So they all want to know. And I'm like, like catch 22. Like, yeah. I'm like, well, it, I've been just, you know, bootstrapping it thus far. I haven't gone out and asked for money, but they want to know that somebody else has taken that risk before them, which I think is really short sighted. Like I, I've been really surprised actually by the community. And so I haven't struggled to have meetings with really good people, but they've all said we want to invest, but at a later stage. So not just a later stage where you can prove, but just because actually the amount that you're asking for is probably a little bit less than we would want to give at this point, blah, blah, blah. So I kind of have started to think maybe our investment strategy is wrong and that actually our fundraising strategy is wrong and maybe we need to just be looking. So we're currently looking for £400,000. We think that that's probably the wrong amount to be looking for and actually maybe we need to scale back on on what we're looking for so actually we're looking for maybe 50 to 100k that will get us not as far and means that we'll have to fundraise again which means I'll have to take time out of the business to focus on the fundraise which strategically is the wrong thing to do but I also need to think about the types of investors who we want on board and who is willing to give us money at this point. It's been weird because all the conversations I've been having with investors is really positive. Like they really like our product. Like I almost want them to say, I want to get to the right people and for the right people to say no. And then I'd be like, right, fine. You're the right person and you've said no. And these are the reasons why you said no. But I'm almost speaking to the wrong people who are saying yes. <laughs> But not now. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it totally makes sense. And I think... Certainly our experience when we did our fundraise as well, and what we found really helpful was to think of it as a series of steps and and we'll do this step and then that leads to this step and it just leads to this step. Now, I think what you're describing and certainly our sense was, well, that's a bit frustrating because I know what the answer is going to be and it's going to be great. So I just need you all to buy into this now so that we can just get there a little bit more quickly. But the investment world is... And particularly in light of a pandemic, there seems to be lots of investments that are being made right at the top end, so in the multi-million pound. But the angel investment, that kind of pre-seed investment level, is still very cautious, I think, particularly in light of a pandemic. Yeah, and I think they, um, it's been interesting. They haven't, it's almost like they haven't said, well, we need more, we need to see more traction necessarily. That hasn't really necessarily been the case. They've just said, we don't invest this early. But yeah, I guess we, we need some bolder investors. We need some people that can see, and, and maybe I'm really impatient as well. So we've only really just started on this journey. So again, I'm terrible. I'm like, it's been two weeks. <laughs> Why has nobody put that money in my bank account yet? Like what is yes. going on? So I think I'm, I'm genuinely just like really impatient. Like there are meetings yeah. coming up, but I think I've spoken to investors. I've been like, hey, so it's not, it might not be the right timing for you. Who can you put me in touch? I don't have these contacts. And I think this is, bang on why you set up and I know you see this a lot you know I have loads of connections on LinkedIn and my network and I can access people but I don't have loads of high net worth individuals like I don't I don't have them in my portfolio I think the other thing is is when you go for the fundraising you don't want to be seen to be desperate for money and I'm not desperate for money because I don't believe in my product I'm only need money because of my sales cycle it's this again very kind of weird thing I want to have an honest conversation with someone and just be like this is just about that but I guess it is sort of that bridging part. And I think don't feel as though because you've had more of the conversations around purely the financials and the forecast, don't feel that those are the only types of investors out there. We really believe that that mode of investing will become outdated because it's that mode of investing that has got us into the trouble that we're in now, frankly, because 
all decision-making in businesses becomes about the, the bottom line and profit. And we can see that, that the impact that has on the environment, on people's mental health, physical health, the world is changing. And I have no doubt that you will find investors who believe in you, believe in your ambition, and who will back you to solve the problems along the way to get into profitability. So keep seeking them out. Don't feel you need to change your strategy, like really maintain your belief in that approach. (laughs) Also, if we model that through, who are the types of people that we're investing in if they are overinflating their numbers at this point? They are the types of people that are going to lead us into financial ruin, right? Because that, you know, whereas actually, and, and maybe I'm biased in this situation, but you know, I think women tend to be less conflatory, you know, absolutely focusing more on kind of the realistics. I was like, well, these are my realistic numbers. You know, they are on the conservative side, but I'd much rather give you conservative numbers at this point so that we're all having an honest conversation. I don't want to be giving a hugely optimistic. Optimistic means I have no faith in necessarily reaching those numbers at this point. But if you want to see that number on a deck, I'll give you that number. Like, what? I don't. Why are we having those conversations? That seems that seems crazy to me. Do you want to go? I mean, yes, Chloe. <laughs> we'll do another hour and we'll just chat about this. But but you're so right, and then it becomes this self fulfilling prophecy mm. of. We continue to invest in the same kinds of people who build the same kind of businesses that have the same kind of impact. And that doesn't benefit anybody. Well, it might it might benefit investors. And that whole system, that whole cycle is just completely ripe for disruption. And we know that women build profitable businesses. We know that they are as successful as their male counterparts. We know they do it generally with what, less than half of the level of investment that their male counterparts will achieve. Women build brilliant, profitable businesses. We just need more of them. Mm. And we need to find those early businesses like yours that are seeking investment to scale and a new set of investors who are willing to bet on a future vision with you, alongside you, rather than just counting the pounds and the pennies. And can I just quickly go on a bit of a feminist rant? Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> I've found that when I've shown people what we've built, there is a level, and it always comes from men, but there's a level of like, wow, oh my God, it's amazing. But there's kind of underneath it, I feel like there's a, they don't expect me to have done what I've done. Mm-hmm. Because I genuinely think it's because I'm a woman, genuinely. Like I cannot imagine that anybody would have that level of reaction to our product or what we've done if it was coming from a man. That's been really surprising to me. It shouldn't do because I've been a woman in business for the last 20 years and, and I've been underestimated my whole life. But that is something that I want to see eradicated, right? Like yes. this idea that you know I'm a woman and therefore what I, you know, like, oh, well done you. Good on yes. you. Do you know this kind of like yeah. sort of like underlying that little ripple of patronization that like sits yeah. underneath that, and also this notion that which we kind of touched on earlier, but I want to bring back to it is like when I tell people I've got my own business, the assumption is is I'm like making cupcakes and selling them from my kitchen. And, and you know, when I can say, oh, it's it's a global business, I'll probably be hiring 100 people next year. Do you know what I mean? Like, they just can't, they don't understand or they don't believe it or they, and that's within social circles, but also just in the wider sense. Like, when is that going to change? Yeah. When when am I going to be able to say that I'm an entrepreneur, I've got a startup and people not assume that it's like a small, you know, lifestyle business? Just as we 
have a think about wrapping up, Chloe. We always ask our podcast guests to share three lessons that they have learned when they are starting their businesses. And I think it would be really interesting for you when you think about the last 12 months, and we hear a lot about the very early days of starting up. We'd love to hear if you could just reflect maybe in the last six months as you think about scaling your business and what scaling your business looks like. What lessons would have you learned that you could share with anybody else thinking about scaling? So lesson number one for me is talk to everybody and anyone you can and be as open and honest with about your problems and your business as possible. I sit in a room with my husband and sometimes he's, I can hear him sort of wincing next to me, kind of like, oh, why are you telling people that? But for me, the, the more open you are, the, the more you get back, right? And the more you learn, because someone might say, oh, you know, so I'll talk to anyone and everyone about the business and get as many learnings as possible because someone will have one nugget and I'll be like, oh, that's really interesting. I can use that. Or have you got a contact or whatever it might be? That's been really interesting because, again, when you're in a corporate situation, you don't tend to talk to other people. You don't collaborate. You talk about collaboration internally, but you don't go to your competitors and go, talk to me about your you know, audience. Is it the same as ours? Can we, can we share learnings? It doesn't happen as much. But that collaboration piece has been really, really interesting to me. So I would definitely say that's a really important part. The second thing is, I would say, just don't give up. I think, you know, you've been saying it to me, don't give up. You know, it's really easy to kind of go, I'm just going to take a job. (laughs) You know, like, I just want a regular income again. This is hard. This is really hard. I don't want to be working all hours, God sends. And, you know, but I, I started a business back in 2009, actually. It was an online dating platform and I had really big ambitions for it. Really big. It was called notanotherjudu.com and it was predicated on the fact that if you wanted to meet somebody of the Jewish religion, you had to go to these judus and everyone hated them. And so it was like notanotherjudu.com and the idea was that we'd have not another and then it'd be like not another Hindu gathering, not another, you know, Christian. And you make it kind of like, and this was before Tinder and Bumble and everything else. And I do think that the idea was probably right. The execution was possibly right, but actually I missed on the fact that with that business model, you needed loads of people on the platform, right? Like it was a network. Again, I was young, I was inexperienced, et cetera. But what I needed was funding, right? What I needed was actually to give up my job and run at that. And actually, I do think that there could have been a successful business in there. And and for years, I wouldn't talk about it. And when people said to me like, oh, how's that thing you build? I was like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I, I closed it down. It's no more. But I do kind of go back to them and think, you know, I didn't run at it. And you've got to have guts, right? You've really got to have guts. Like I needed to have left my job in advertising and, you know, gone full at it. So really kind of like don't give up and have guts, I think is, is, um, is really important. And then I guess my third thing is be really um, light on your feet to pivot. So, you know, that moment where understanding my audience wasn't really my audience um, was really crucial for the business. And I could have kept going down that route And that would mean that we wouldn't scale as quickly. And that's led to all the things we discussed about needing to fundraise at this point. So there'd probably be my three that I hope will be ubiquitous to other people. 
really insightful and really helpful. Um, it's been a joy talking to you today, Chloe. I feel like we could do at least an entire series just chatting to <laughs> you do. about your business. I do um, talk a lot, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's been it's been such an interesting conversation and we've I know that there are things that we haven't covered yet. So for anyone listening who would like to learn more about the Green Shoot Institute, either from a potential customer or from an investor perspective, how can folk get in touch with you? Yeah, so go on the, the website, which is thegreenshootinstitute.com, nice and easy. Our product is Plants and Perks, so sometimes that can get a bit confusing. So we've got the Green Shoot Institute, but our first product is Plants and Perks. But yeah, just reach out to me. LinkedIn's probably the best way, Chloe Sweden. And the picture of me is me tearing my hair out. So again, pretty appropriate because that's probably what I'm doing <laughs> most of the time. Um, but yeah, just, just message me on LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. And yeah, and check out the greenshootinstitute.com. But yeah, it would be lovely to have any conversations, even if someone said, oh, I, you know, I love feedback. I genuinely love feedback. That's a really important part of, of the journey too. So even if you just wanted to say, I'm not sure about that, that's fine too. Really open for you to, you know, to have a conversation about that. And if anyone does have questions about investment, maybe you're considering investment as something you would like to do, then get in touch with Chloe. Or if you have questions, get in touch with the Radical team. We can help you to figure out this path because there are awesome businesses in the world who are balancing both profit and purpose and your financial support and investment, but also your know-how and your wisdom and your cheerleading of those entrepreneurs could be really valuable and make a real difference in the growth of their business. So get in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chloe. I loved it, Chloe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm really pleased. I'm pleased. For more information, visit the Greenshoot Institute. And we'll be back next week with more inspiration and know-how on starting and growing your own business.